Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you as you help family members and friends. It's Monday. It is May 8th, and we are live out of Chicago at 10 a.m. Central Time. On Monday mornings, we air a podcast that we hope gets you off to a good start, not only on your Monday, but for your week. And we air every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Okay, a couple updates for you. So our bloggers have been busy on caregiving.com, and oh my gosh, what they write is just prose. So if you haven't had a chance to stop by and read what's going on, please do. And I'll just give you a little teaser. Goldie, who's been blogging on caregiving.com, just shy of two years, wrote a blog post last night that has one of the best opening lines about what caregiving is like that I've read. So look for her blog post. It's called Juggling Caregiving. And I mean, her, her first line says it all, says it all. And I want to thank all our bloggers because they speak honestly and openly about what caregiving is like. And that's a gift. When you talk about what it's like for you and you don't sugarcoat it, you give us permission to talk about what it's like for us too. And when you talk about the good days and you celebrate them, you give us hope that good days are in our future too. So feel free to do so, especially during the month of May. All you need to do is blog four times for a chance to enter into a contest to win a hundred bucks. So when you register on caregiving.com, you receive a welcome message from me and that includes instructions on how to start blogging. One of the best things I've done since helping my parents is blog. It's been a great way to document what's happened. It's been a great historical record. So I remember what I did and what it was like and what we came through and what we overcame. And the thing about blogging is that it's like journaling, but to an audience who understands. So just the idea of blogging to a community connects you to that community. I've told this story before, but I always like to remember what it was like when I went to the emergency room with my dad and he fell at home. We got to the hospital at 1230 and it was one of those situations where he was in the back. The security guard wouldn't let me get through there until the nurse said it was okay. So I was sitting in the waiting room. And you know what it's like when you're in the emergency room by yourself, not only during the day, but it's worse in the middle of the night. So I was texting my siblings knowing that they were asleep, but I thought, you know what, I'll just text them with, with updates knowing that they're not going to get back to me until the, till the morning. And then once I was able to go back into my dad's area and check and see how he was doing, oh man, and it wasn't good. It was just so nice to have my laptop with me and to write a blog post at 2.30 in the morning about what just happened. So when my dad was out having tests, I was in his little emergency room, cubby room, writing a blog post. And I 
I knew not many people were going to read it at 2.30 in the morning, but that's not why I wrote it. I wrote it because it connected me to a community, and I was feeling alone and lonely and nervous and overwhelmed. And so just to be able to blog to a community, knowing that at some point someone was going to read it was very helpful. It almost gave me more comforting comfort than sending texts to my siblings. Almost. I did I did find comfort in knowing that I could text them even though they weren't going to read it until they got up and that was okay. That was okay. So I think of blogging as writing and releasing and an opportunity to keep you connected to a community that understands. So that's my gentle nudge to start blogging. And again, even if you don't feel like, okay, I can't do that, I can't do that, just check out the recent blogs. I think you'll find someone has written something that makes you think, it is not just me. And one other thought, on caregiving.com, we write about and talk about and chat about what's going on. And we're all in different stages and phases and we have different responsibilities and different ways that we help our carries. And that does not mean that those who seem to do more (laughs) mean those of us who do a little less aren't welcome. So it's not about how much you do and when you do it and where you do it. It's about that impact of a caregiving experience on your life. And that's what we're all managing. The impact might be different for each of us, but there's an impact. And that's why we belong to a community who understands the impact. So again, it's not about where your carry lives. It's not about whether or not you're the one that gives the bath. It's about you being impacted by caregiving. And that's why we have a community because it connects you to others who feel the impact. So it's not about what you do. It's about how you feel. So if you think about joining us and you read the blogs and you think, oh, my gosh, they do more than me. I shouldn't be here. I have no right to complain. You are welcome. And you have a right to complain (laughs) because we all complain. And it it all, it makes us feel better. And actually what we call complaining is venting. We all need to vent. We all need to vent. So don't dismiss your situation as being too easy and therefore you don't need support. Whatever your situation is, welcome our support and join us to receive it. We have surveys that are ongoing throughout the year and the survey that's happening right now that has a deadline, maybe that's the way I'll put it, is our survey of those who work and also care for a family member. If you haven't completed the survey, I would be so grateful if you did when you could, as long as when you can, is <laughs> before around May 20th, because that's the deadline. So I'm going to do a webinar to share the results of this survey on May 25th. It's a free webinar. Anyone's welcome to join. You can register to attend the webinar to receive a reminder to join us live. And if you can't join us live, you'll receive a link to the archive. So that's May 25th. And when you go to caregiving.com, if you scroll down and look to your right, you'll see this orange box and that 
kind of prompts you to register for the webinar. So go ahead and register if you're interested in this. And most important, if you are in that situation where you work full-time or part-time, you care for a family member, I would love for you to take this survey and share your experiences. So I use your experiences for this webinar, and then we'll use your experiences during our June 2nd summit. So what you experience is important for us to know. And honestly, I use your experiences to create content. It's the podcasts, the video chats, it's the courses, it's the blog posts, it's something like this summit. It's all coming together because you share what it's like. And you share what it's like in the survey. And this is the third year that we're doing it, which is helpful too because it kind of gives us a historical perspective on what's staying the same, if anything's changing, and if anything is changing, what is changing. So we know that the numbers of working family caregivers are growing. It's always only going to get more. So what happens in the workplace? So stopbycaregiving.com. You'll see on the front page a request to complete our survey. If you're on another page and you think, oh, I need to do that survey, just look up and you'll see this rolling scroll of text. And then click on the one that says, tell us about your experience in our surveys. And then you'll see the working and caregiving survey. Click on that. It'll give you details. And then there's a link to the Survey Monkey survey. And I'm grateful for all of you to do that. So the deadline is May 20th. If you can, just take a few moments, and I know a few moments are precious to you. So I'm grateful that you spend a few moments taking the survey. And again, your experience has become the webinar, the June 2nd summit, which I'm really excited about, which I think is just going to be really powerful. So tell us what it's like. If you haven't registered yet for the June 2nd Summit, you can register to attend in person here in Chicago or virtually. There's a cost to register for in-person and virtually, and there's an early bird rate that expires May 12th, which is Friday. So if you haven't registered yet, do so on or before Friday so you can save a few bucks. And if you're not in the Chicagoland area but still want to join us, register to watch virtually. If you can't watch virtually that day, when you register, you'll have ac access to the archive, and you can watch the archive whenever it's convenient for you. We'll have our chat room open that day for those who are registered to join us virtually. You can share questions, thoughts, experiences in the chat room so you can connect with others who are watching virtually as well. So all the information about the summit is on caregiving.com. Okay, so I think what we'll do is move into our conversation part of our podcast. And today we're going to talk about option B. And I'll tell you a little bit about that after I introduce the experts that join us on Monday mornings. So Colleen Cavanaugh cared for her parents for a decade. Her website is thelongestdance.com. And she's also one of our certified caregiving consultants. Actually, she was one of our very first certified caregiving consultants. And she helps family caregivers streamline their lives and develop a vision that supports them through the less than perfect days. 
Good morning, Colleen. Good morning, Denise. <laughs> and Carolyn Grant is also joining us. She's also one of our caregiving certified caregiving consultants. She cared for her parents for 10 years while raising her family. She teaches her clients to recognize their own unique strengths as a caregiver, how to listen actively and to proactively communicate with everyone from doctors to extended family members. So good morning, Carolyn. Good morning, Denise and Colleen. So the question we're going to talk about today is a question that I posed on caregiving.com. So you can also let us know what you think about option B. So there's a new book by Cheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. I love Adam Grant. He's a professor at University of Pennsylvania. He's really been a pioneer in the idea that givers in the workplace do better ultimately than others. And so he he partnered with Cheryl Sandberg to write a book after her husband died. And Cheryl Sandberg is the chief operating officer of Facebook, and her husband died suddenly at age 47, just about two years ago. And Cheryl Sandberg wrote a book called Lean In, which was a way to help women succeed at work. And she got some backlash when she wrote Lean In because it was very unrealistic, I guess. So she talked about her perspective really from a place of privilege And that's not a place a lot of us come from. So I thought it was interesting that she wrote a book then about how to be resilient when life hands you just tragedy, a trauma. How do you rebuild from that? So she and um, Adam Grant wrote this book, and it's about option B, meaning that when option A is no longer what your life is, option A is what you want, that's not possible, you move into option B. And it made me wonder, when we're in a caregiving situation, are we living option B? And here's the thing, I have not read the book. (laughs) So we're talking about this really perspective based on a book that I have not read. So I'll just let you know that. Okay, so Colleen, what do you think? Is caregiving option B? Well, I love this question, and I actually just started the book this weekend. And one of the first quotes that grabbed me in it was the simple sentence of, in relating to this tragedy that she experienced, and so began the rest of my life. And I found that so moving because at a certain age, I realized that life happens regardless of my plans and what I think is going to happen. And option A, B, C, whatever variation of your life you're in, this is the rest of your life from this point forward. And I think it gives us a lens of looking at something we had anticipated and hoped for that then changed. And I think it's a great tool for us to, you know, put on the different glasses. So you find this idea of option B somewhat freeing. Yes. Okay. So, Carolyn, what do you think? I I always have to preface with saying it depends on the individual and their circumstance. Some people may feel that caregiving is their option A. Um, For many of us, it's option B. 
Uh, I'm a firm believer in life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. So option B is freer because that means we can approach caregiving from a perspective that there's something transformative about it. And with that, can send us in a direction we just had not expected. And I mean in, in a good way. In the end, it's just a journey with a lot of bumps and all of the emotions that go along with it. But in the end, it can be transformative for the good. So, Colleen, when you were in the throes of caregiving, would a book like Option B have been helpful to you? And I know you just started it. I know you just started it. So I'm kind of asking you a question that might not be realistic. Maybe the question is, would you have looked to read a book like Option B? Excellent question. Um, because recently, I love Adam Grant as well. His book was incredible, Give and Take. And I have gone on this big journey of reading all of these sort of self-help books um, because I'm very curious about it. Well, you know, what can caregivers learn from these mechanisms and tools that these people have done studies on? You know, there's some useful information out there. Would I have read this in the midst of everything? I don't know because... I was just so overwhelmed at points. I think maybe towards the end of my journey as things settled down and I kind of found my groove, but when things were so chaotic, all I was living was the chaos. And it's a tricky place I sit now when I try to reflect on if I was in those shoes now, would I listen to what I was saying or to what anybody else was saying? And for me, it took hitting a real low point before realizing I have to snap into self-care and hiring extra help and alleviating the pressure that I had packed on to myself. So is that, that that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know what's interesting? So I went to the library on Saturday. I was tired on Saturday. And I thought, you know, a, a, a book will help me relax. And I meant to get actually option B, but I forgot when I was there what book what book I was looking for. So I just kind of wandered around and I picked up some books and I looked at them. I thought, oh my God, I can't read this. And it wasn't a, a difficult book. It was a frivolous book, but it was a big book. The big books, I was like, oh man, I cannot read this. I cannot read this. And I think that's what happens in caregiving, right? You look for the bites, something that's mm-hmm. easy to nibble and I think that's what happens with some of the books, too, where you think, oh, man, I can't nibble on this. It's too big of a bite. Yes, and some of the most important bites that I took away were when I worked actively with a therapist to handle all of the stress that I was under, and she was so crucial in pointing out things and would give me those little bites of, hey, there is this book, you know, read the summation online and you know, take away what you need from it and move on. But know that there are things out there that people have studied and researched and try it on for size. You know, you don't have to write a book report about it, but there are things out there to help us. And so I think if you can get the get the little taste, it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the value of where we're at in caregiving now is that there are more conversations out there, there are more articles to be read, more books to be read, 
and there are people who have been through caregiving who can now reflect and then turn to people who are in the throes of caregiving and say, let me help you understand the value of taking that time for yourself to read a little bit, to gain perspective. Denise, what you described about reading, uh, I was like that. when Before caregiving, I loved to read and learn. And when I was caregiving, I little by little by little wasn't reading anymore. That was the book was too long. I wouldn't get through it. There would be too many distractions. And I really think the value now is that we can educate other people and help guide them to finding these resources of ways to self-help. You, you know, when I think about the big book, it's the commitment it takes to reading the big book. <laughs> and I think when you're engulfed in commitment, where the commitment is so big and so pressing and so full of pressure, another commitment that you take on, even just checking a book out of the library, just feels like, oh, man, I, I just can't take that on. My shoulders are heavy already, and that feels like it's just going to add weight. Yes, and my thing was I remember feeling stressed. Because I had a library book, and I was so afraid that I would forget to return it. And even though the fine's so minimal, that was a stress. <laughs> yes, right. Well, it's another thing to take care of, too. You have to take care of the <laughs> yeah. library book, right? You yep. have to return it. You have to return it in the way that you received it. You have a date by the time you have to return it. Oh, yeah, you just can't take care of one more thing. It's like people say you should have a friend who has a beach house instead of owning the beach house yourself. So then you just get to show up and enjoy it and you don't have any of the stresses. And I think it's the same way. Like everybody should have a friend who is reading the actual book and that you can just make a phone call to and say like, what do I need to learn about this? And just get a little snippet and enjoy it and move on without the commitment. That is so true. So I've been thinking about this idea of option B, and so I'm going to personalize it a little bit in a way that is not realistic. But let's say I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I try to put myself into the same shoes as Sheryl Sandberg, which is impossible, but I'm going to try. So let's say I'm married. My husband, we're on a vacation. Yes. Right. <laughs> Uh, well, okay, so that's part of it, too. So I do want to mention that, too, but I'll go through this story. Okay, so let's say I'm on vacation. My husband is on the treadmill working out. He falls, hit his, hits his head, and dies. And then I have to basically regroup and get my life back together. And so here's the part that I always gun with this, and that is, you know, I just think it's easier when you have resources and money buys you resources. And I think if if you have a tragedy in your life and, and are worried about money, I think it's just hard to think about, okay, well, this is my option B. Because what that means can, what it can mean then is that option B is, I'm going to just have to deal with worrying about money. I'm going to just have to deal with the stress of not being able to pay my bills. I guess that's my resistance to it. Option B works if you have resources, I think, to make option B work for you. 
But if the resources are scarce, I think it can feel like I can't settle for option B because this place sucks. And I can't, I can't accept this option B in life. So what do you Good think, option. Colleen? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Carolyn. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Carolyn. Well, I'm just, Denise, I agree with what you're saying, and that's a reality for many, many, many people. When we can't do anything about not having the financial resources, then what can option be successful if it's an emotional awareness, if it's seeking out someone to talk to that's free, because there are those resources in many um, therapy is available in many communities for free. Is that an option? Is that going to be enough? Well, and here's the other part. Maybe it's also because you think, I can't accept this as my option B, so I'm going to get a better one. I'm going to keep moving until I figure out what is better. I'm not going to accept that I have to struggle somewhat. Our motivator I don't know. What do you think, Colleen? I think regardless of anybody's amount of money in the bank, everybody has feelings and emotions. And knowing that I would assume most people's goal is to live a happy and contented life in whatever form that is for them. So how can you accept something that, Yesterday was unthinkable, unimaginable. And how do you come to terms with not living with that frustration or resentment of saying, I'm not going to accept this. I'm going to wait for something better than option B. And allowing yourself to simply accept this is what is happening for now. It might not always be like this. And if I can remain positive in this event, I'm going to fare a little bit, I'm going to be a little bit stronger at the end of this part of my journey. Is that too? Well, so here's, here's, I still get stuck on this. So I have been destitute. I have been in situations where I had to go to my parents' house to get toilet paper I only had money for mayonnaise and pasta, and that's what I ate. And I think when you're destitute, it, it just adds a wrinkle to it that helps, that makes it harder to rebuild that option B. Do you mean because of the emotional weight of the situation? Well, have you ever, so I'm just going to be blunt. So have you had a situation where you've just really been worried about paying the bills, where you had a, you just had no money. Yes, I've been on food okay. stamps. Okay. So, what was that like for you, Colleen? What was that? What was that? What do you remember about feeling about that? It was very unnerving, and there's a sense of not of being in not like a, almost like a safety net, like you had fallen off of the ledge that 
I was like, I, first off, I'll put it in first person. So it felt like I was on this nice little safe ledge, and then I fell off the ledge. And yeah. instead of being on like a nice safe net, I was on something that was really threadbare, like a piece of fine mesh that could have collapsed at any moment. Yeah. On top of you know that stress, and and at the time, at this time, I was also dealing with really severe postpartum depression. So on top of just the financial woes, there was this other issue going on, and I'm talking about hope, feelings of hopelessness. Yeah. But then, again, I come back to hitting this point of I am not going to let this happen. I am not going to go here. I have to pull myself up and get back onto that ledge somehow. Otherwise, yes. this is going to drop off. This net's going to drop out, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to be here anymore. And that determination and that resiliency, and I think that's part of the idea of an option B, of, you know what, this isn't what I thought or where I thought I would ever be in my life, but you know what, I am going to make the most out of this, and I'm going to kick it to the curb and move on and get up and out into my life again. Yes. It's the motivator. Yes. Yes. It's what you say. a strong motivator. Yes, this is unacceptable to me. I'm going to change this. Yeah, yeah. That's why I wondered if um, if circumstances that are not what we want and truly difficult and truly bring us to a place of struggle are the circumstances that motivate us to better I think absolutely I don't think anybody goes through any type of a profound change in their life and in the perception of who they are and what knowing what they're capable of without a challenge that's what shapes us right and so here's here's just my last question to you okay so when we are at rock bottom and we decide I'm climbing up because I'm not accepting that this is, this is where I land in my life. I'm going to rebuild it. Do we re- rebuild it into option B or do we recreate an option A? Is it recreate or adjust? I guess what I'm wondering is, do we settle for option B or do we try to create another option A? For me, I couldn't recreate option A. And I tried after caregiving had ended. I'm like, I'm going to go back to my old life. And I didn't stop to take account of how much the experience changed me. And I couldn't go back to that. So I had to jump out of option B into option C. And that's where I am now. Would you still consider it option C, or is it a new option A? I don't know. I, I could. I mean, technically, I'm probably on option like X right now in the <laughs> grand right. scheme yes. of things. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it becomes yes. like semantics, whether it's A or B, in which you're. You know, yeah. I think option B can turn into your option A because you sit in and you can say, oh my gosh, wait, I can appreciate this. I can, if you sit in it with gratitude and say, all right, this is what I've been through. This is what is happening. Here I am. I, you know, I'm, I'm still standing. 
and that's your new normal. That becomes your A until something yeah. knocks you off of that ledge. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. Does that make sense to you guys, that yeah. idea that it's, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's, this is such an interesting conversation to me, and I know I kind of got into the semantics a little too much, but I just wonder what is it that, what are we settling for? And are we settling and what are we really working to working toward achieving in our lives? And getting and I over wonder, the idea of what we thought things was, were supposed to be like. Yes. So exactly. is it, our, is it overcoming our unrealized unexpected, expectations are unrealized expectations and accept yes and accepting that our life is on a different path because of in our situation caregiving we're on a different path and it can be as i said earlier a better path but yeah there's a sense of loss we thought we were on one direction and then because we stepped up and and gave care it put us in a, in a different direction than perhaps we would have been on before. And some people can go back to that original option A, but I believe we are different because of our experiences. So somehow that option A is going to look a little bit different. Right, yeah, option A changes, definitely, definitely. But does it have to be called option B, I guess I'm wondering. I guess I'm, you know what I'm, I'm just stuck on is this idea that there's just lo- levels of what it is that we want in our life is option B less than option A. That's what I I'm understand now what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So it's about Why perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have to, are we settling when we say it's option B when couldn't it just be a new definition of option A? Yes, absolutely. And it's going to be individual. Someone may feel they need to call it option B as a completely fresh start, breaking free of option A. Yes. Other people see what you're talking about, which I understand. You're making your difference, so your choice is different, but it's really option A kind of changed and altered as a result yeah. of your experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Yeah. I think I need to read the book. <laughs> and Colleen, as you started it, what do you think? About the book. The, whole, I, I, the book, sure. I think it, I can't wait to get through it because it is all about resiliency and how we yeah. are able to bounce back from unimaginable situations. And I think I, for most of us, caregiving is an unimaginable situation. It's not on anybody's bucket list to take care of somebody they love during mm-hmm. illness. So I think there's going to be some interesting things to learn from it. Okay. You know, and the name- Paul, may I say, I actually Googled the definition of resilience from Merriam-Webster. Multiple definitions were the same, and I don't actually like the definition. The technical definition is an ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. I don't like adjust easily. Have you thought about that as the official definition, and do you both agree with it? I don't think you can adjust easily to it. I think you need to allow a time of mourning for the loss of what you had anticipated in order to get into the acceptance of what is now happening. Yes, that's we my We should revisit body. this. As we, as we should all read the book and come back and like maybe do a book club. 
Yeah. You know what? That's so interesting, Colleen, because I was thinking about that. I used to do a book club podcast years ago where we would pick a book once a month and then have a group of us talk about it on a podcast. So maybe that's what we'll do with this book is, is really think about what works, what doesn't, what, what's our yeah, takeaway from the book. Yeah, yeah. And I think resiliency is just a fascinating topic in general. And it's all about how do we bounce back? How do we bounce back? Yeah. Okay. So we'll keep our listeners posted on when we're going to have a book club discussion about option B. And we'd love for you to share your thoughts about what you think about option B. Are you living option B? Does that help you to think about life as something you can recreate into a different option? So stop by caregiving.com and let us know what you think. And I want to thank Carolyn and Colleen for another great discussion. It was great to be here. Have a good week, everybody. Yeah. And I also want to thank you guys so much for your honesty, too. I think it's so helpful that we just say it, right? We just have to just say what our life has been because that gives other people the idea that, oh, my gosh, look at what they went through. And here they are. Here they are. And thank you for being a reminder of that. You constantly reinforce that to your community, and I think it is so important. So you help make me brave, that's for sure. Yeah, we have to be transparent. We have to be transparent. You know, I'll just tell you this one little thing about the toilet paper. So so when I would go to my parents' house and and just say, can I take a couple rolls of toilet paper? They would always think, oh, she just didn't have time to go to the store. And it was one of those things that I did not want to say to my parents, I am destitute. So interestingly enough, once I moved into my apartment that I'm in now, my mom, when I would go see them, would say, do you need toilet paper? (laughs) And I would say, no, mom, I'm okay. I have toilet paper. And here's the thing that's so interesting. I am afraid of running out of toilet paper, so I have a lot of toilet paper. So I think even though (laughs) we live option A, we take the scars from the previous. Yes, right? Yeah. There are things that we are, that we were so damaged by that we just are protecting ourselves from that again. And mine is toilet paper. And how happy is it, though, that you just have to look at a roll of toilet paper in your apartment and know life is good. Yeah. <laughs> right. The toilet paper, it's here. Oh, you know, when I was sick in February, I was running out of toilet paper, and I can't even tell you the stress that caused me on top of being the sick. Panic. I was like, I was, I was in a full-blown panic. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna? And I live a block from the grocery store, but it was like the grocery store was in another country. Okay, so I did say we we're gonna stop, so let's stop. So we'll continue. <laughs> we'll continue the conversation. Thank you, ladies, so much. So appreciate your insights and your thoughts. Yeah. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I'm Denise Brown. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing because we always love to know. Take care. Bye-bye.